0: there are some people in here right now and your heart's desire, the deepest thing that you want is just to seek after God. And you want to see God move in a mighty and a powerful way in your life. I really believe there's some people in here who have that heartbeat. And to you, I would say that, man, God says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." And so I encourage you to keep seeking God. And it's so easy sometimes to seek God for the sake of a change in circumstance, or for the sake of an improvement in your life, but I think the best thing possible is that we should seek God for God, that we would get more of God, that we would encounter Him in a more deep and a more powerful way. And I do believe that maybe there are some people in here who you walked in and you're not quite sure why you walked in, or you're not quite sure how your feet found you here tonight. And if that is you, I want to say that I'm so glad that you're here. And every single person in this room is so glad you're here. And we really believe that when you encounter Jesus, your life can be changed forever. And so I'm hoping that you encounter the, the love and the peace that Jesus brings. God, we thank you so much for this night. We're expecting that you're going to do something special. You already are doing something special. We're not starting the night right now. You've been bringing this thing forward. And we're so excited, God, for everything you're going to do. We ask that you would continue to move. and We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Why don't you high-five three people around you, grab a seat, and check out this film. Oh. Not <laughs> more than three, but... <laughs> Thank you. with you, like I could watch that a hundred times. Like I have so many questions. I have so many things I want to know. How many MacBooks did he use? How many iPhones did he break? Like how did he know to duck at the right time? There are so many things from that video, but isn't it mind blowing? Like, come on, that's amazing. So I'll be honest with you. Two reasons I wanted to show you that video. Number one is just because Like, it's awesome. I, in prepping it, watched it like five times. It's like, I've already seen it, but I just could keep on watching it. So that's number one. And then number two is, I wanted to get in our minds the concept and the idea of a chain reaction. That's the title of our message tonight is Chain Reaction. And Webster's Dictionary defines chain reaction as a series of events, each caused by the previous one. A series of events each caused by the previous one. So I want you to hold in your minds this idea of chain reaction for a second. But I want to just take a step back and say that we are in a series of messages here at the harbor called Fan the Flame. If you haven't been here or if this is your first week, no big deal. This is part two and I'm going to give you a quick recap of part one. So basically the big idea of Fan the Flame is that when God does something powerful in our lives that we need to make sure that we invest in what God is doing. Because the true amazing thing is like when God does something, we should not take it for granted. Like if God brings us into harbor or brings us into a service and we encounter him in a special way, if we're reading the scripture and it comes alive to us, if we're praying and we experience closeness with God, Like, it can be easy to take that for granted, but the truth is that that's an amazing thing, and we need to value when God does something in our lives. Amen? Amen. 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 And so as we value the things that God does, as we invest in the things God does, we need to take care to put time and effort when God starts to move in our lives. You know, I was reading this morning in Matthew chapter 13, and it says this, Jesus talking, he says, To the one who has More will be given And he will have an abundance But to the one who doesn't have Even what he does have will be taken away And that's kind of a heavy harsh verse But if we think about it for a second It makes sense to say That when God brings something Into our lives That we need to be faithful with it Jesus said he who is faithful in little Is faithful in much And so if we can be trusted With a a command to obey Or a calling or anything that is we consider to be small if we can be faithful with that then that means that God can entrust us with even more that's what the idea of fan the flame is all about that we would make sure that when God moves we pay attention instead of just moving on or ignoring it and I'll be honest with you guys I really need this series of messages like for myself okay so I apologize that you all have to sit in here as I learn what God needs to teach me. I'm sorry about that. But the truth is that for me specifically, like, I have uh, easily moved past things that God has started doing in my life when I should have treasured them and, and, and tried to invest in them. And, and I, I remember, like, in, back in October— Uh, our team here was really excited about investing into this thing that we were gonna kinda create for new believers. And we were pumped about it and, and we had put a lot of time and effort and investment into it. And I got kind of like a final draft back for it and it stayed in my inbox for like three months. And like every time I thought about it, I was like dreading it, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever had that experience? You know you have to get to something but like you're just putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so like that was like my entire Thanksgiving, my entire Christmas, whenever I thought about stuff, I was like, I got to get to that. I got to get to that. And I'm the worst for like when I know I have to do something, it's so easy for me to get excited about it and get hyped about it. And then I kind of like lose a little steam. I get kind of focused on something else. And then like Three weeks later, I get totally excited about something different, and I completely forget about the first thing I was excited about. Is anybody else kind of feeling me? Has anyone resonated with that before? Yeah, I think that can happen. Let's clap for our general ADD. No, it's okay. Here's the truth, though. The truth is that if we're going to be mature followers of Jesus, we need to focus, and we need to pay attention, and we need to value what God is actually doing in our lives. And what I truly believe is that if we can invest in some things, then God will make a huge difference and a huge impact for us. Last week, we talked about investing in three things. We talked about investing in our relationship with God. We talked about investing in whatever God put in our hands. And we talked about investing into community. And we're actually going to take a deep dive into investing into community today. And with that, you can turn in your Bibles with me if you would like to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of these guys in the back will bring you one, and that will be absolutely amazing if you need a Bible. But Ephesians chapter 2, it will also be on the screen for us, what we're looking for. But here's the big idea that I want to kind of center on and get our minds percolating on when it comes to this idea of fanning The flame of community And you can jot this down if you like The big idea is this When God saves us A chain reaction begins That leads us into community So we just looked at chain reactions We just discovered that a chain reaction Starts and then a series of events Occurs because of it And the truth is when God saves us A chain reaction starts That actually propels us And leads us into community And we're about to look in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're about to discover, like, what it was actually like when God moved into our lives. And and Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, he starts and he says, look, here's what happened. Like, every single one of us, whether we were in this room, whether we were born uh, here or born anywhere, every single person was born dead, born spiritually dead. And that's a pretty heavy thing to say, but it's the truth. He says that we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins. And the reason we were dead is because we were following kind of the whole course of what the world is doing. We were following what we personally wanted to do. And we were following the enemy, the devil, and what he was telling us to do. And so truly, if you ask Brian, what is sin? What does that mean? Sin means that we say, God, I know what to do more than you know what to do. And I'm going to make a choice to do what I want to do instead of what you want to do. I'm right and you are wrong. That's all sin is. But when we do that, that means that we are spiritually dead. And what I need for you to hear right now is this. That all of us in here, if we don't know Jesus, are spiritually dead. And that's heavy. That's a heavy thing to say, especially if you just walked in. We just met. I'm now telling you that. And that's kind of intense. But here's the truth of the matter. When You meet God, and when God comes into your life, God is not just needing to slightly improve your life. So if you're walking in here and you're like, here's what I need with God, I just need to get a little better. I just need to tweak or improve a few things. The truth is, that's not what a dead person needs. A dead person needs a miracle. A dead person needs to be made alive. And so what God wants for every single person in here is that you would be made alive because of Jesus Christ. And so don't come in here seeking just improvement. Hopefully I can get a few things together and my life will be straight. If you don't know God, come in here seeking to know God and for God to do a miracle in your life. The good news is God is like literally in the miracle working business. Check out Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And it says this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, another word for sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. That is just a mind blowing verse right there, that God would love us, would care for us enough that every single one of us in here, that we would be born an enemy of God, born walking the other way from God, but God loved us so much that he walked toward us, and that because of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, the life that he offers, we could have forgiveness, we could have peace with God, and God could literally welcome us into the family of God. I'm so thankful for Jesus and what he has done. And it says, by grace you have been saved. We didn't earn it. It's not about us tweaking a few things and improving. It's about God doing a miracle, not because we deserved it, but because he wanted to because he's that good. Are you thankful for God's grace tonight. Amen. Praise God. Check this out. God didn't just save us, but he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. So, God didn't just save us, but he actually brought us into a place where we have a high seat at the table. He actually allowed us to come into such a relationship with him that we would experience his love, that we would experience his goodness. And that it says in the coming ages, he might show us more about his riches. In other words, God is actually excited for years and millennia and eternity to come to show us more and more and more and more about how good he is. That's amazing. So what we see here is that Paul is describing the fact that Jesus does something insane, amazing, miraculous in our lives. Like he Saves us, even though we didn't deserve it, even though we were dead, he saves us, he brings us into the family, but look at this, I mean, we, we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about that, like, and I would encourage you, man, if you don't know where to start in the Bible, if you want to read some scripture to start the year, Ephesians is an amazing, mind-blowing book, one of my favorite books in the Bible, and you could spend hours, days reading over chapter two. But look what is interesting is see the chain reaction that starts with God doing something amazing in our lives. And look at what happens next. Skip down to verse 12. Paul says this. He says, remember that you Gentiles, which is anyone who's not a Jew, you Gentiles were at the time separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promise. Having no hope. And without God in the world So what he is saying is that Okay, here's the deal Anyone who wasn't in Israel at the time when this was written Which is about 2,000 years ago Anyone who wasn't a Jew Not only did they not have a relationship with God But they were also separated from the people of God There was a very strict dividing wall Between the people of God and between everyone else And it was very much There were those who were in and there were those who were out. And if you were out, sorry, bad news, you can't make it in. If you weren't born of the right ethnicity, if you didn't have the right actions that you took, you could not make it into the family of God. So he said they're separated from Jesus, but they're also separated from the people. But look at what Jesus says, look at what Paul says, he says, but now in Christ, next slide, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near By the blood of Christ For he himself Is our peace Who has made us both one And has broken down in his flesh The dividing wall of hostility In other words That Jesus doesn't just Save us But he also breaks down This wall between The people of God And between everyone else And so what Paul is saying is Look, there used to be Exclusivity. There used to be this ethnicity, this purification, this specific birthright that happened. But what he is saying now is that because of Jesus, there is only one qualification to have peace with God, and there is only one qualification for having access into the family of God, and that is Jesus Christ. In other words, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have confessed your sin to Him, if you've repented and turned your life over to Him, you have access to God the same as anyone else. You can pray the same as anyone else. You can read the Scripture and hear from God the same as anyone else. But you can also experience welcoming into the family of God. There's nothing else that you need, you don't need a better intellect. You don't need better words that you could say. You don't need to know more of the scripture. You have just as much right to God's family and just as much right to be a part of this group as anyone else. That's what that says, that Jesus has literally actually separated out and said, there's not anymore this separation, but instead everyone is welcome. All you need, welcome Jesus into your life. And he wants to save you. He wants to welcome you into the family. That's amazing. Look at verse 17. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the same spirit. Here's what this says. This says that, you know what? If you grew up in church, if you were quote unquote near, if you were a Jew at the time, you still needed Jesus to save you. And if you never grew up in church, if you're the only person in your family who knows about God, you need Jesus to save you just as much. Every single person had the same problem. They were dead in their sins. And every single person needed the same solution, Jesus Christ, to come into their life. And because Jesus saved those who were far off, and because Jesus saved those who were near, every single person is now the same. The ground is equal at the foot of the cross, and we all have access to God That's amazing And so the reason that I read all this scripture to you The reason that I wanted to put this in front of you is this I wanted to make it very clear That there is a chain reaction Between God saving you And doing a powerful work in your life And God connecting you To the family with God Do you see that? Do you see that God literally is not just saving us like, hey, congratulations, you're a Christian, that's awesome, that's amazing, but God is saving you and saying, hey, guess what? <clears throat> Excuse me, you have me, but you also have God's family. You have a people that you were invited into. You're not saved solely. Here's what I love about this. If you go back to the very beginning of your Bible. Some of us in here, we're, we're reading through the Bible in a year. So you're probably in Genesis right now. And if you go back to Genesis, what you see is that mankind chooses to sin. They choose to rebel against God and turn their life over to what they want to do. But when they choose to sin, the chain reaction from that is that they're separated from humanity. There's brokenness within relationship. The first thing that happens after mankind sins is Cain murders his brother Abel. So the fallout or the chain reaction from sin is brokenness within relationship with each other. And yet the fallout and the chain reaction of Jesus saving us is restoring that relationship. That's so beautiful that God would literally not only restore relationship with him, but restore relationship with. With each other Here's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize Because I hear sometimes people say this And people think it all the time Look here's the deal like I got God I'm cool Like Me and God are awesome I just am not so much into the church Like I got my relationship with Jesus We're cool We got our worship music on But I don't need anybody else Like I don't need the people of God in my life And the truth is That Jesus never had just one disciple. Think about this for a second. Jesus never just had one disciple. Because the first two he called, Simon and Peter, were called together. And so anyone else he called in, he called them into a community. And if you look through the New Testament, the church that Jesus created, the truth is that every time something happened, they were in community. The disciples were sent out two by two to go on mission. Even the the most uh, isolating of circumstances, Paul, when he wrote many of his letters, even this letter of Ephesians, he's in jail. But you look in the letters and you see that even though he is in jail, people from the church are coming to visit him. He has community. Even that he would be writing to churches and saying, I'm still connected with you. I still have my heart With you. And so the truth is that none of us can truly say, I'm cool, I'm great as a Christian, but I'm isolated. I'm not connected to anybody, but I'm still good between me and God. Because I really believe that community is absolutely essential to walking with God and to following God. I would go so far as to say this to the Christian, Marriage is optional, but community is required. I think a lot of times at the church, we get really hyped about marriage and we start thinking, like, man, like, if I'm not married, like, there's something wrong with me. I'm like a lesser Christian. The married Christians are the ones who are really spiritual. And I'm super passionate about saying, you know what? Like, God calls people at times to a season of singleness. And in a season of singleness, God actually says it is good for you to be single. Because as you are single, you can dedicate yourself to God. You can focus on the things of God. And yet, he never says it is good for you to be alone. And the truth is that there are people in here who are single, but have amazing, insane community. Better than some married people. Because they are actually walking in the family of God and embracing the family. So I would say this, that as we look and as we think about this, the chain reaction starts with God saving us, but it continues into God actually bringing us into family. So I want to share two quick thoughts with you about what community looks like, and then I want to explain a little bit about what we at the harbor are doing with community stepping into the new year. So the first thought about community is this. Community is for us, but it is not about us. If you're taking notes, you can jot that down, that community is for us, but it is not about us. There are tons of benefits to community. It's for us, okay? Like there's friendship. There's accountability. There's an ability to hold each other to a high standard as you walk through your walk with God. There's the ability to know that if you get into a tough situation that you can call someone and that they will be there for you, that you have a group of people praying for you and encouraging you, and I know that there are so many in here that could attest to saying I went through a really hard time, maybe 2018 was a really hard year, 2017 was a really hard year, but because the people that were around me, I made it through stronger. So the benefits of community are amazing. But the truth is, God didn't just design community for us. He designed it for even a bigger purpose than just to take care of me. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says this. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're talking about a household of God. This household is built On the foundation of the apostles and the prophets Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone So Paul starts writing about this metaphor of a house And he says you're not just strangers anymore God has actually invited you to be a part of this house that God is building And look at what it says next on the next slide It says in whom the whole structure being joined together Grows into a holy temple in the Lord In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so what does God say? God says that when we are brought together, he starts to illustrate this metaphor for us. And he starts to explain that we're being brought together into this house. And this house is actually a temple for the Lord to dwell in. A place for his Holy Spirit to dwell. In other words, God's not saying, I saved you, now you're Superman and go save the world by yourself. He's saying, I saved you, I brought you into a family, and when this family gathers together, something special happens. When this family gathers together, we get to worship in a way that we don't worship outside of this place. When this family gathers together, we get to encourage each other. When this family gathers together, maybe people would walk in here who are far from God and they would think all of this is really weird. All of this is like, I don't understand any of it, but I know something special is happening here and I want to be a part of it because God's here. That's what happens when God brings us into family. Now I want to show you a little bit of something really special about the idea of a temple. Are you guys cool if we do a a little history lesson here? we good? Okay, here we go. I got one thumbs up, so that's enough for me. If no one had thumbs up, I would skip this part, but we got one. So here we go. In the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, by the way, if you're not familiar, the Old Testament, there is this idea or this concept of a temple. And the temple was built by the Jewish people, and it was a place where they met with God. But even long before the first There were several temples in the Old Testament Long before the first temple was built There was a man named King David At the time God and the people met together In a place called the Tabernacle Which was basically a tent And so David was like, look God You are an awesome God, you are amazing I don't want you to live in a tent I would like to build you an awesome temple And so David actually prays to God And he says, here's what is going to happen I want to build you a temple But God he actually doesn't want David to build him a temple. You can read about this whole story in 2 Kings chapter 7, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 7. But here's one verse for it. God is talking to David, and he says this, he says, No matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people. I've never asked them, Why have you not built me a beautiful cedar house? Now, I know this is kind of a weird verse. Probably nobody has like this on a mug or something. But I think it's so interesting because David's like, God, I would like to build you something special, a house where you can live in. And God says, just FYI, I've never asked for this. Like, I'm not super interested in you building me a house. Like, very sweet of you to do. Don't need it. Check this out. His son Solomon actually goes on to build this temple. It's a place where the people meet with God. It's a place where they sacrifice to God. And Solomon builds this temple, and at the time, which was probably 1,000 to 1,500 years before Christ, it was one of the most beautiful buildings in the known world. Like we're talking this insane, amazing building covered in gold, the finest craftsmen form everything. And Solomon, when he builds the temple, took seven years to build. At the dedication of the temple, he is praying to God and he has this realization about the temple. Check it out in 1 Kings chapter 8. He says this He says, But will God really live on earth? Even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built? So, so Solomon again—he kind of gets struck with this realization, like, "Oh my goodness, we've built this temple. It is a place where we're going to meet with God, but like, it's not going to be God's house, because truthfully and honestly, God can't even be contained by the heavens. That is how glorious and powerful He is. So, like, this temple is not going to do it." And then check this out. God himself, in the book of Isaiah, he says this about the temple. He says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both the heavens and the earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts those whose hearts tremble at my word and so God even in this word he says look I made the heavens and the earth literally everything is mine every tree every blade of grass every ounce of gold in a rock somewhere so when you build me something it's not blowing my mind because I already own it. And I gave you the power and the strength to build it. And so what's crazy about that is if you consider the temple and if you look at the temple and really truly understand that yes, the temple was a special place for the Jewish people where they did meet with God and it was significant for their religion. And yet God says, I'm way, way bigger than that. But then if you fast forward and consider what Ephesians chapter 2 verse said, it says that God is actually building a temple with us. And think about this for a second. God doesn't want to live in a building, but he wants to build a people and live with that people. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't want to live in a building, but he himself is actually building a people and he wants to live that That blows my mind. That is so incredible to think that when we gather together, whether it's at the harbor, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it is in a community group with 10 people or whether it is with two people one on one, God's presence is there. And God delights to be in this place I really believe that that as we gather together, God loves to be here. And as God is moving us together, we see that he is joining us into this dwelling place where he is pleased to dwell. So, community, it's for us. God created it as a gift for us. But it's not about us. It's about God. And I think it's about something else as well. I believe it's about us pouring out what God has given us to other people. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 just a little bit earlier, verse 24, and it said, Consider how you can stir up one another into love and good deeds. And I love this verse because it's God saying, like, you and me, we are called to actually be creative and think through, process through how we can actually encourage each other to keep growing in our relationship with Christ. Like, we actually get to put energy and thought and creativity into it. I put energy and thought and creativity into a lot of stuff. I try to like make sure my lawn is mowed the right way, and I think about how that thing grows. I try to think about how the harbor is run and how everything here can, can be run the smoothest as possible, but I love that in that same way, I don't know what your thing is that you love pouring into creatively, that you love giving your heart to, but I love that God invites all of us to say, give your heart and give your creativity into helping someone else grow in their walk with God. So, community is for us, but it's about God, and it's about us helping others. That's the first thing that we need to know about community. The second thing that we need to know, and this is the last point, is this that without commitment, we don't mature, we move on. I'm going to say that again because I think it's really important. Without commitment, we don't mature we move on. And I'm gonna explain what that means for you because it may not make sense. Here's what it means. When you think about community, most of us probably have kind of an idealized view of what community is. It's this awesome place where everyone agrees with us about everything, everyone laughs at the jokes that you make, Everyone is totally into the exact same stuff. The lighting is perfect for a nice Instagram shot. There is no awkward silences. We read the scripture. We pray. We weep together. We all feel like we're best friends in the entire world. And I feel like when I think about community, I'm like, ah, man, I would be so sick to be a part of a community like that. The problem is, such a community does not actually exist. The problem is that when we actually take a step into community, we find that it is full of awkward people. We find that other people think that we are awkward, although they are wrong and we are right. We find that there are awkward pauses, that there are people who do things that annoy us, that the setup isn't exactly how we would like. We find all of these things and we actually discover that what we were hoping would happen in the ideal of community isn't actually the case. And so, so often we jump around from place to place and we look and we say, man, maybe this is what I'm looking for. Maybe this is what I'm looking for. Maybe this is what I'm looking for. But the truth is, as we jump around like that, so often we're not actually maturing in our face. We're just jumping around from place to place and we never have the time to grow roots and to mature. Here's what I actually think that this looks like. I think that kind of our idealized picture of community is this. They mature, community is created, and then after that, I commit. In other words, they mature, the people out there figure out how to create a great community, they create that community, and then I commit to that community. But I think what is more realistic and what God actually wants for us is as follows. I commit, community is created, and then we all mature together. So if you don't commit, if you don't say, you know what, I'm in it for a little bit, then you're never going to grow, and people around you are never going to experience the benefits of you actually sharing your life with them. Here's an example. Anyone who is married knows that as you get married, you start to mature because you start to realize you're kind of screwed up. You and your spouse start to encounter difficulties where it's like, man, like, I thought that I had all the right answers. I thought the way that I rolled through life was correct, but I'm discovering because someone else now lives in my house, things are a little different. And imagine if you will, like I'll just be honest with you guys. Um I am kind of a messy person. And uh and I would say like if left to my own devices, like if if Katie leaves for like a weekend, like I have to go into panic mode like an hour before she comes back because like the house is a wreck. And I don't know how it happens. Like I wasn't doing anything. I was watching TV and eating Oreos literally. And yet I come back and I'm like, there's trash everywhere. There's Oreo crumbs everywhere. I get that, that's my fault. There's clothes everywhere. I didn't change clothes once because I just am a slot, you know? Now imagine if you will, that if Katie came to me and she's not a nagging person at all, so she would come to me in love and she would say, Look, it would mean a lot to me if you stayed a little less messy. Imagine if I was like, This isn't for me. I'm trying to marry somebody who's into my mess, who embraces me, who loves me. You swore you were gonna love me no matter what. Unless I have bail. We're done. Now it's kind of a ridiculous example, obviously yeah. but despite the fact that like divorce is wrong and all that other stuff, just think about the fact that like I would never grow at all Like I would never discover that like being messy is maybe like cool for like an 18 year old college student but for like someone who's like a grown- up adult, maybe they should figure out how to like put their clothes in the dirty clothes basket or like make their bed even though like that's kind of pointless but <laughs> Anyways, my point is this without commitment there is very little maturity. But as we commit to each other, we start to bother each other. And so either I'm mature in my patience, because I grow in patience, or I'm mature because I go up to someone and I say, hey, like what's happening maybe isn't the best. And then we learn how to have conflict with each other, and we learn how to grow, and we learn how to mature together. And so often, the relationships where we grow the most are the ones where we are able to be the most real. But it takes a little while for us to grow in realness, and it takes us saying, I'm going to commit to this group of people. I'm not just going to show up when things are great, but I'm actually going to understand that I am entering into a broken community. But that as I enter into that broken community, I will be able to mature, and everyone else around me will be able to mature. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said that the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. The person who loves those around them will create community. So we don't want to idealize, but we want to commit and serve, and we will see community flourish around us. Now, as we close out tonight, what I'd like to do is just take a couple of minutes and explain to you what we at Calvary Melbourne and also what we at the Harbor are going to do this year in relation to community. The first thing is this, that Calvary Melbourne, um, which is the church that sponsors and, and this is a ministry of, we are actually entering into semesters for our community groups. And what that means is this, that there's a spring semester from February to April, There is a summer semester, and it should be up on the slide here. There's a summer semester from June to to July, excuse me, and there is a fall semester from September to November. And between each one of those semesters, we'll have a one-month break, so a one-month break in May, a one-month break in August, and then a two-month break from December to January. Now, the reason that we're doing this is because all of us, or many of us, even if we're not in school, our life kind of flows in this rhythm. We have the spring, maybe we take some time off uh, over like Memorial Day, Uh, kind of the summer is kind of a little crazy where we're all kind of traveling and stuff like that, and we enter back into this rhythm in the fall that kind of carries us into Thanksgiving, and then as we know, because we just experienced it, crazy hectic between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So what we're trying to do as the church is we're trying to create opportunities for people to get connected into community in ways that kind of naturally flow within our natural rhythms. And the truth is what we have discovered, and I don't know if you've discovered this, but oftentimes when I ask the question, how are you doing to someone? The primary answer is, I am busy. Has anyone ever experienced this? Does anyone feel overwhelmed by busyness? Do so you want to feel like their life is just running and sprinting from one place to the other? Yeah. It's crazy. And so what we're trying to do with this community group calendar is create some spaces of rhythm, but also create some spaces of rest, where we want you to be connected to community, but getting connected to community doesn't mean you're signing up every week for the rest of your life, but you're entering into a semester where you can walk with some people over the course of time. Does that make sense? To somebody? Nod, give me a nod. Okay, cool. Now, in addition to that, what I want to say is that for our Harbor community groups, we are going to be meeting every other week during the semesters. So starting in the first week of February, we're going to be meeting every other week until April, then we'll take a break in May, then we'll enter back in in June and July, take a break in August, and then go September to the end of the year. The reason that we are doing that is exactly the same. We want to make sure that we're creating rhythm in people's lives. We know a lot of people are coming to harbor every week. So you're already committing one night a week in addition to probably going to church somewhere or something else. And so it's a lot to commit to, okay, like we're doing this, then we're doing this, then we're doing this. And next thing you know, your entire calendar is filled up and you don't even have time to think. And so these seasons we're going to enter into where we are committed as a community, but at the same time, there's going to be breaks, and every single person, at every community group is going to meet on the same week. And so there'll be a week where we all meet, and then there'll be a week of kind of rest. We'll still have the harbor every week, but for our community groups, we'll have that week of rest where there won't be any community groups. Anymore. So here's the question. What are we going to do during the off weeks? What are we going to do during the off months? Well, during the off months, we're going to take time to invest into our community group leaders. It's my hope that because of this new system and because we really believe that community is such a key feature of the harbor, I hope harbor community groups blow up this semester. And I hope we have to have new community groups because there's so many people in them. I really believe that God could do that, and I believe that that could happen. But we're also going to use those off months to create some outreaches, to create some events where we can all gather together. We're going to make sure that we kind of space out things and do it strategically. In addition to that, on the off weeks of the semester, so you're committing to a community group, you're in a community group. But on the off weeks, it is my hope and prayer that over Melbourne, there are hundreds of coffee sessions, hundreds of two to three people Bible studies, hundreds of meetups that are happening with our community. As I said, we're trying to create rhythm, and I'm hoping that rhythm will create some space for us to actually grow as a community. So I don't want us just to kind of be isolated during these these two weeks, but I hope that as you get connected to a community, that you meet friends, that you grow in friendship, and that those friendships grow, that people are going to movies together, people are meeting up, Chipotle and Starbucks and all of those amazing things that happen because truly community is something that happens even outside of organized time. Last night I went over to some friend's house and we sat down and we shared uh, some coffee together and we shared uh, just what God was doing in our lives and we prayed for each other and it was a beautiful time. It wasn't scheduled. It wasn't like man we're going to from this time to this time this is our official community group time. It was just heart to heart in someone's house, sharing, loving, pouring out to each other, and that is what I believe community is all about. And so I'm hopeful that if you've been a part of the harbor for a long time, if you're going to community groups, if you would consider yourself a veteran of the harbor, I'm hopeful that not only would you lean into this idea of community groups, but that you would take it seriously to actually be welcoming new people in, and that you would take it seriously to invite someone out to coffee, to get to know someone, to go a little bit deeper in a friendship with somebody who is new and welcome them into the family. And I'm hoping if you are new, that this is a season where you get connected. Does all that make sense? Yeah. Awesome. So what I want you to do is this, we're gonna talk more about community groups next week. You have a community group flyer and what I would like to challenge you to do is in the next week, look at this community group flyer and be praying about getting connected to community. If you go to FIT and you can't make it off campus, there's a bunch of amazing intervarsity groups that you can get connected with. If you go to another church, please get connected at that church. We're not trying to steal you. If you feel like you're part of another body, get connected there and you just love kind of coming here for that connection. I, I don't care where you get connected as long as it is a healthy place that is drawing you near to God. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's truly my prayer that so many people would, would, would start actually getting connected to what God has called them to this year. And I'm gonna invite the band up as we seek to close out tonight. And before we close out, I just wanna take a moment and extend the reality of the fact that you know what, Like, not only do we need to get connected to community, but maybe for some of us, we actually need to get connected to God. As it says in Ephesians chapter two, that we were dead in our trespasses, that we were far from God, that we were not welcome in God's family, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because of the fact that he died on a cross for us, he paid for our sins, he invited us into new life, and he actually gives us an opportunity to be welcome into the family of God. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to accept that free gift from God, to have peace with God, to be welcomed into the family. So what i like to do is just ask everyone to bow their heads, please, and just in a moment of silence, in a moment of reverence, and I wouldn't just ask anyone here who would say, you know what, I need, like, a relationship with God. I don't need right now to just figure out everything else, but I actually need God to save me and restore me and redeem me, and I would ask it. That's you and and you need that relationship with God. If you would just raise your hand right now, if there's anybody in here who would just shoot their hand up and say, I need that relationship with God. Yeah, that's awesome. I see that hand. Amazing. Thank you. see that hand as well. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Hands going up all over the place. That's incredible. God loves you. This moment is a precious moment. This moment is a real moment. That God could literally save you of your sins, invite you into new life, and not just invite you into new life, but help you get connected into the family of God. So what I would ask you to do is just take this moment and pray a prayer to God. This prayer does not save you, but you praying in faith and asking God to save you does save you. And pray something like this. Just pray, dear God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I've walked away from you. I ask you to save me. I ask you to forgive all my sins. I ask you to give me new life. Thank you that I get to walk with you every day. Thank you that I get your family. Please help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Can we clap our hands for those who raised their hands? That's awesome. So happy for you guys. Here's what I want to ask all of you. We're about to stand up and sing one more song before we close. What I want to ask you to do is if you raise your hand, we have a connect card. And that connect card, go ahead and stand up with me if you will. That connect card is going to be, uh, Hannah's going to share at the end what to do. But if you raise your hand, please fill out that connect card. Take it over there to our connect bar. We would love to talk to you, encourage you, pray with you. Now, uh, before we close, we're going to close with one more song. And I just want to invite you to let the words that were spoken, the things that God spoke to you, just flow over your life and over your heart as we say